if we could embed sustainability into tech from the get-go, then we wouldn't be facing this same problem that we had with the industrialization age. Hello everyone, welcome to Green.io, the podcast for doers, making our digital world greener, one bite at a time. I'm your host, Gael Duez, and I invite you to meet a wide range of guests working in the tech industry to help you better understand and make sense of its sustainability issues and find inspiration to positively impact the digital world. If you like the podcast, please rate it on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite platform to spread the word to more responsible technologists like you. And now, enjoy the show. In this episode, we go to Singapore to meet Thibault and Ia. Both will facilitate the first sustainability track at the API Days conference this week. So this interview is very keen to my heart because I had the pleasure to meet John, the founder of API Day Singapore, in the Paris session last year. In the middle of the main hallway, crowded like hell, and tried to get our hands on a sandwich before jumping to the next round of conferences, he shared with me his interest in sustainability, how he was enjoying the sustainability track I was hosting, and asked me if I knew anyone in Singapore. I immediately introduced him to my dear friend Thibault, and boom, voila! After QCon London last month, yet another big tech conference dedicated significant time to the sustainability topic. Well done. And uh, why Thibault? Thibault is the local representative of both the Climate Fresk and the Digital Collage in Singapore. He has managed to boost their participants and create a vibrant community of facilitators with diverse backgrounds. On top of this volunteering activity, Thibault is a consultant in digital sustainability. And before his latest adventure, he has an extensive track record of managing business units in the digital sector, in France, in Singapore, and also in Hong Kong. And uh, why Ian? Maybe because he has his picture in several journals these last days. The Star Malaysia, the CWR, and more to come. But to be honest, maybe because he founded 13 years ago when no one actually cared about the topic Greeny Web his digital decommunization agency to green the internet. And now full disclosure, we should have had a female guest with us today. You know how important gender parity is for me. But she was prevented from speaking by her organization at the very last moment. This is something I notice more and more, and this really upset me, because no employer should be able to bar someone from sharing her professional experience, providing no confidential information is shared. Still, let's now dive with our guest, into the lively Singaporean IT sustainability scene. Welcome, Ian and Thibault. Thanks a lot for joining GreenIO today. Thank you, Gail. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Gail. Thanks, both of you. Ian, I'd like to ask you about your journey in sustainability first, as I do with all my regular guests. But first, I'd like to start with a more personal question. So, how proud was your mother? Ah, that question. So, just to give our audience a bit of a context, about a week or so back, I actually posted on LinkedIn about uh, one of my first features in a national newspaper. So, even though I'm Singaporean, and what we do predominantly is based out of Singapore, I had this wonderful opportunity to be featured full page, uh, a completely full page in the Star Malaysia, which is Malaysia's largest 
English publication. So it's a full spread across two pages in the middle of the newspaper. And it has been really my dream to share about sustainability on a national scale. So that was something that I was very proud of. And it also harks back to my childhood when I shared with my mom that one day I hope to be on the newspaper for something positive, for something newsworthy. And it was a dream come true. So that moment was a very proud one for my entire family, not just my mom. And very happy that you asked that question because it really brings smiles to my face, even by just describing it. Yeah, but I can't imagine why. That's, that's, that's great. And that's great that you managed to, as you say, raise awareness in, uh, I've read the Malaysia Star when I traveled in, in Malaysia uh, so a couple of times, and that is definitely a big newspaper there. And being able to raise awareness in such a topic that is not that mainstream, like digital did sustainability it is, but digital sustainability and tech being an issue as much as a solution, that's not that common in Malaysia, as far as I remember. So really congratulations. But how did you yeah, how did you did this journey in sustainability started 13 years ago or even maybe before? Definitely. So the turning point for me really was the one of the summits that they had back in 2009. So it was the Copenhagen summit. And I still recall reading up that it was called the Copenhagen summit. So instead of C, they replaced it with a H. Because in 2009, that was supposedly back then one of the major turning points, right? Uh, we've got a lot of people talking about climate change. That for me was one of the first large scale movements after the year 2000. So I was, as a much younger person, very interested. And one of the things that happened in that same year was that I first picked up coding, right? So people were talking a lot about biodiversity. There was a lot of talk about deforestation and how to combat that, right? Combat wild forest fires. But in my mind, back then, when I first started coding, I was thinking to myself, um, what can be done for technology, what can be done to ensure that technology does not go down the path of the other mainstream, I would say, assets or mainstream activities that we do. Because when we had the industrial age, we had all these factories and no one thought about sustainability from the get-go, right? So now they, or rather back then, they were then thinking of how to make, say, manufacturing greener, how to make the physical supply chains greener, right? And I was thinking if they had done that right at the very beginning when they were first building factories about 100 years ago, then we wouldn't have had that problem. So back in 2009, when I first started picking up coding, tech was still much newer as compared to today, right? Uh, a good number of people still didn't own personal computers. They didn't have personal laptops. Um, lots of people I knew actually went to internet cafes when they wanted to, say, surf or to play certain video games, right? Certain computer games. So back then, tech was still very nascent. And I was thinking, if we could embed sustainability into tech from the get-go, then we wouldn't be facing this same problem that we had with the industrialization age, right? 
Because in the tech age, if we talk about sustainability in tech from the beginning, then we would have a very sustainable journey, one in which our future generations would not have any trouble taking over and one in which we would have no regret creating. So that's a bit of the Genesis story with regards to my well journey in tech and sustainability 13 years back. And Thibault, what about you? Did you ask the right question from the start? Or is it a bit more like me who realized after almost a decade, more than a decade in IT that, oops, actually, we should pay attention to sustainability at some point? Yeah, so I come from the other side, actually, because uh, I crafted my career in uh, IT consulting. Um, I was a local partner for IT projects, uh, like, I don't know, uh, HR apps for banks, uh, this kind of stuff. I, I also worked in machine learning and AI. Uh, but this topic really came to my mind uh, during COVID, where I uh, actually <laughs> decided to shift uh, I was in the midst of, uh, I mean, I was realizing something was off uh, preci- precisely because I didn't ask myself the right questions. And more importantly, I think I didn't ask my customers the right questions because I was a really, in a, like, I, oh, I've always had customer facing roles and my role was to advise <laughs> and to help them build meaningful uh, web apps, this kind of, you know, IT digital structures. And now that I, when I look back, I realize them really didn't ask the right questions. And I contributed to projects that were beyond, not stupidity, it's a bit harsh to say that, but I realized I was working on apps. I perfectly knew another team in the company had it, but, you know, business is business and I had to deliver because that was my pay grade at the end, right? And my approach of tech and sustainability together comes from a more, I would say, French pessimistic approach and more like a pragmatic approach saying, okay, you know tech, you've been working in this and you re- I realized I wanted to make a difference. I wanted, I wanted to make an impact. Like the, it's not as exotic as the end. <laughs> it's more like, okay, you know how to do this, but you want to do that. So how can you make something out of these two and see how it goes? So this is pretty much my story. And once again, COVID has uh, brought a lot of uh, bad things in the world, but I cannot count the number of people it has actually helped to pause a little and think about their job and, and shift or adjust things in their professional and personal life. That's, that's very weird and amazing at the same time. That being said, regarding Singapore now, because that's actually the, the main hero, the main character of our story today is this uh, beautiful um, city island. What could you tell me about tech in Singapore? Because I read pretty amazing numbers like VC funding. Uh, you've got, I think, 90 of the 10 biggest tech companies in the world do have some presence or even headquarters in Singapore. It seems to be very vibrant as well when it comes to funding, a lot of startups, etc. So is it just a hype or is it something more grounded in the Singaporean culture? I will uh, actually, so my wife is Singaporean, so uh, when I say we and when I say uh, Singapore, I, I'm including myself not as a citizen of Singapore, but as somebody who's here to stay, which is something we is important to resituate because sometimes people are just here for a few years, and, you know. Uh, so I'll, um, I won't speak on behalf of Singaporeans, but at least I feel part of their wonderful country. I, I think Singapore is at the crossroads right now. Just before we... we we prepared this uh, podcast with you, Gail. You, you mentioned this uh, 
this uh, concept of pharmacon, which is a concept I really find truly amazing and extremely powerful, explaining that basically something that can be seen as a silver bullet, as a remedy, can also be considered as something that makes a situation worse, like a poison. So it's a very old concept, which I, I really think should resonate with our conception of technology today in Singapore and beyond. But going back to Singapore, they are attracting a lot of talent, a lot of funding, a lot of uh, actually interest from the world, from Asia, but also from Southeast Asia. And they need to make their decision whether technology should be leveraged for the greater good or should be leveraged for other topics like, I don't know, speculation, financing or whatever. And when you, when, when you have a look at uh, what companies are saying or what agencies are saying, you actually see the beginning of something uh, rising here uh, where I would say that to the highest level of uh, national government agencies, they know that there is something to tap into and companies feel it too. They feel something, but they have a hunch, right? But they still can't grasp how they should do it, what they should know, and what would be the approach. And in general, I think uh, when, it, when it comes to sustainability with a capital S in Singapore, the strategy is here, the KPIs are here, but the tactics, they are very, very scarce to find. And a lot of exciting projects in Singapore are actually into the investigation of how can you make sustainability real and operational beyond just a few numbers, carbon footprint calculation and these kind of things. How can you make sustainability relatable and reality rooted in the life of people at home and in their companies? That's very interesting, this uh, crossroad image. And Ian, what are, according to you, the, the key features of the Singaporean tech scene at the moment? I think that's a very good question. To me, the Singaporean tech scene, there are two parts to it, right? The first part would be the pre-VC part, and the second part would be the post-VC part. So the VC era in Singapore actually is very young. It probably began about 10, 15 years ago, plus minus, right? And the first group of VCs that came to Singapore were not exactly local VCs. They, it wasn't an organic process in which venture capital suddenly sprouted up in Singapore. It was very much government-driven. The government saw a need for there to be venture capital to really grow the entire ecosystem, right? Because prior to the VC era in Singapore, it was very much of family businesses or individual hobbyists who became very good at certain niche areas. An example would be creative technologies that uh, were very innovative, right? They actually created something that's called the Sound Blaster card. Um, you can look that up. It's uh, in its time, at least, was one of the most advanced tools that you could have in a computer, right? But coming back to the present day in this VC era, we see that the Singaporean ecosystem has managed to grow quite steadily in the last 10 years or so. A lot of it has been government supported. And when we tie it to our conversation and our topic today on IT and sustainability, I think that it's a very good time to be in Singapore right now. 
because the past 10 years was spent building this entire tech, in a sense, IT ecosystem. And now there is this very large push, both by industry and by the government, to ensure that sustainability and climate change is at the forefront of matters. And it's really for two very big reasons. The first one is because the country, our country, Singapore, is an island nation, right? So it's a very existential issue in which if we don't play our part for climate change and the sea level rises in the way it has been rising or the rate of rise increases even more, the country may cease to exist in 100, 200 years time, right? So that's one. And the second thing is to do with the competitive nature of the global economy. Because climate technology and sustainability in general would be one of the largest drivers of growth in the 21st century. So whoever who lags behind in this industry would lose a very important competitive edge in the global economy. And as a country with little to no natural resource, being able to harness climate technology at its best is something that relates to the survival of the nation's economy. And so it's also an existential issue uh, from an economic sense. And suddenly I feel very, very stupid because I was expecting an answer regarding how Singapore economy wants to stay cutting edge. So exactly what Ian said in this second part, but I actually didn't realize that it was a matter of survival for Singapore to fight by climate change. <laughs> and it's, yes, it's an island. It's not a very mountainous island. So yes, actually, you're absolutely right. The crossroad image is beautiful because Singapore is a crossroad and is at a crossroad, both business-wise and sustainability-wise. And bouncing back, Thibault, on what you said with a broader vision to Southeast Asia, can you tell me why Singapore is a beacon and kind of maybe leading the charge against uh, climate change and other environmental crises? And how Singapore is different than the rest of the region and how the rest of the region is keeping up the pace toward more sustainable approach? Yeah, I think... I mean, I, again, I don't want to be to be rude, right? Just consider my my inputs as uh, somebody who truly loves this place, and, and I try to be as uh, mindful as I want as I can. Um, I, I feel Singapore is kind of cursed in a way because, again, it's a beacon and a, honestly an ivory tower in the middle of a region where actually it strongly uh, clashes with the situation of of the countries around around it. Uh, it's very hard to compare the the status of sustainability in the Philippines, very famous for the plastic uh, pollution, for instance, and Singapore for a simple reason, in terms of, ta of talent, again, I'm repeating this, but in terms of, of talent and of funding, they are not playing in the same playground. And, and again, Singapore uh, truly has an absolutely, honestly, a unique uh, opportunity to actually be uh, the flame bearer, you know, like during the Olympics, to uh, propose a new future. Um, to represent this, um, I, I think this shift in terms of mindset, I uh, recently uh, joined a, a conference with um, youth climate activists. 
And there was, there was a senior uh, minister uh, related to the transportation authority in Singapore. He was exposing to the, to the climate activists and to the, the audience on that day that he wants Singapore to shift from being the garden in the city to the city in a garden. And I, I refine that extremely uh, smart and beautiful in a way uh, to reverse the topic. And that, that, that this, this shifting of mindset, personally, I think it strongly shows how much Singapore wants to lead the effort in sustainability within its borders, but also encourage foster collaboration on the regional level and show the example, show how it's done in a way. Because Singapore, again, has the opportunity, has the chance to, to have all the material they can, they need to craft this desirable and appealing future to craft tech and sustainability. Jan, what are, according to you, the main hurdles that other countries in Southeast Asia faces at the moment to speed up on sustainability? Yes, yes, uh, definitely. So to me, I, I don't feel that there are hurdles. I, I, in fact, I feel that they're really, really good opportunities. And that's really why, if we look at it from a more macro perspective, a good amount of VC money, right? So we're talking about uh, venture capital firms either opening new offices here or increasing their footprint in Southeast Asia, right? So a good amount of VC money is flowing into Southeast Asia uh, because there are these opportunities within the region. And in a sense, the various countries in Southeast Asia, people like to refer to us uh, collectively as a region, but we aren't as homogenous as most people think we are. In fact, Southeast Asia is one of the most diverse places around the world, right? We're made up of 10 different countries and hundreds of different languages and different really beliefs and practices. So it's a place where there is great amount of diversity. And this diversity is really key to the region's growth. It brings about new ideas. And from these new perspectives and new ideas, you can get truly new innovation. So to me, addressing your question, Gail, I feel that Southeast Asia has lots of opportunity. The hurdles may really well be related to the lack of, at least in the past, relevant capital to fund the innovation. But as we've seen in recent years, the amount of capital pouring into the region has accelerated. And that's why you see more and more startups being born in the region and even more and more unicorns being minted in the past couple of years. And some of them being in the climate tech uh, sector, indeed. And so if we roll up our sleeves and focus a bit on what is being achieved in IT sustainability in Singapore, could you share with us some initiatives that you really feel should be put under the spotlight, whether it's in, I don't know, data center sustainability, maybe a change in the way things are designed in the digital uh, industry or the way they're coded or maybe the way that people handle data and everything related to AI or model training, where things are moving and what are the landmark initiatives that you'd like to share when it comes to Singapore tech sustainability scene? Okay, I, I'll just hop in here. So 
from my perspective, I feel that there has been an increase in awareness in general sustainability. We're talking about people being very mindful about things like Earth Day, Earth Hour. In the second half of last year in Singapore, we had a climate action week. So in terms of sustainability as a whole, right, we're talking about awareness regarding plastic waste, regarding general GHG, which stands for greenhouse gas emissions, right? Um, there is an increase in such awareness. But if you look at it specifically from an IT angle, right, sustainability in IT, I think it's still very nascent. And um, I can tell you from experience, because when we at Greeny Web, when we talk to corporates, when we talk to large corporates, when we talk to smaller businesses, right, your SMEs, your small and medium enterprises, there is very much a eureka moment experienced by these corporates, right? They still feel that sustainability is a given each time you use a digital process because they grew up or rather they were trained in a way that um, they were trained uh, in the past 10, 20 years in a moment in history where digitization automatically equated with going green. In other words, when they first stopped using paper uh, to send out mails, right? They started using emails. They were told that they were going green. And that, to some extent, has been true, right? But we're seeing what we call in-house at Greeny Web, the carbon financial divergence, right? Whereby finances in the past used to cap the carbon cost of an operation. Whereas now with software, the financial cap, right, that used to be placed on top of carbon has since been dissolved. And now you have this divergence where costs can be kept very low, but carbon emissions can skyrocket. Your carbon footprint is no longer restrained by your budget, right? $1,000 can get you maybe two, three, even five years worth of electronic digital marketing services. And so you can send out these emailers every day and if you look at the carbon cost per email and you multiply that by the number of emails you send now in a month, multiply that by the number of years $1,000 can get you for those professional services, you now have a far larger carbon footprint from the digital world than you would have had in a physical world. And so this is the things that uh, we like to share with our partners, right? And we like to share with the general public because Long gone are the days whereby going online means you're going green. In fact, in the present day, by going online, you could actually be, well, tricking yourself into thinking you're going green, but actually be doing the exact opposite. So that's a very long answer, uh, but I hope it gives you a bit of a picture flavor of digital sustainability here. This shifting moment when people realize that uh, Digital, not always equal green, is always very interesting. It reminds me, you know, the examples that uh, Jerry McGovern took in his book, World Wide Web, when he actually talks, brings the topics of e-reader. Hmm? And that spontaneously people would say, well, that's wonderful to, to buy a Kindle or whatever kind of e-reader you want, because I will save so many trees to be uh, chopped off. And... The answer that the studies, when you incorporate life cycle analysis, et cetera, et cetera, 
for the US was kind of astonishing because depending the study, you had a positive impact on the planet if you read between 20 and for the other studies, Arimcon, it was 60 books per year. Otherwise, the carbon footprint is negative. It's better to buy physical books than an e-reader. And on average in the US, an adult citizen will read two books per year. On average, of course, huge discrepancy here. And that's really stuck me this example of, yeah, that's not that simple. And knowing that a lot of people are actually getting more and more aware of it in the in the tech scene in Singapore and pretty much everywhere around the world. This is like a huge battle that is being won as we speak at the moment. Um, do you have any examples, uh, other examples to share about initiatives uh, taking place in Singapore at the moment? Yeah, so actually, Gail, you, you mentioned something, a key word, and that we, that's actually the, my favorite approach to calculate the impact footprint or in terms of waste of technology in general, which, by the way, will be the topic on, of our track during API days in Singapore with Ian here. Uh, it's the life cycle. I think it's extremely important to have companies and individuals understand that dematerialization is just materialization elsewhere, just not in our backyard. And to help them perceive this, I really like to use the a circular approach, a cradle-to-grave approach, um, focused on the life cycle. When it comes to understand the life cycle assessment of technology, it goes through three steps, right? Uh, the manufacturing the usage of data, and finally the end of life, whether it's obsolescence or, or, or recycling slash e-waste. Uh, so in, in, in Singapore, actually, we have a few uh, incentives that were launched recently uh, that can actually represent each of these steps. And the fun fact here is that Singapore really likes to rely on local champions to push for topics. Example, manufacturing, uh, you have this company that you may know called Razer, Razer, R-A-Z-E-R, -E uh, very famous, I mean, in the gaming industry at least, a very famous uh, brand of laptops. And they are going to launch their new eco-designed uh, laptop uh, in the next uh, few weeks. I hope to be part of this amazing event because they are planning some cool uh, incentives to mention that. But Singapore is now taking the topic seriously of eco-design hardware and manufacturing thanks to the promotion of a local champion because Razer is Singaporean. Now coming to usage, uh, one word must be mentioned, and I know, Gail, it's uh, true to your heart. It's the data centers. So data centers in Singapore represent roughly 7% of the energy consumption, which is when you think about it, it's huge. In terms of ratio, it's huge. 7% of the energy in Singapore is used for data centers. And also here, you have some uh, actually local uh, champions. Uh, so for instance, our friends from Coolest DC and PS that may be listening to this podcast in the future, who's actually working on uh, innovative ways to develop data centers uh, through uh, smart cooling systems and a better layout of racks, etc. And it's actually super important for Singapore to find their space in this industry for a simple reason. A lot of projects that were designed to go to Hong Kong in terms of data centers are now rerouted in Singapore for reasons that are quite obvious, you can imagine, especially between the fact that US and China are fighting over technology topics and IP, intellectual property. 
So Singapore is actually <laughs> Singapore actually is benefiting from this shift of strategy from the big tech companies from the US to actually absorb new projects of data centers. And Singapore is actually super interested in, in these topics. The change of approach in the Singapore government on data centers projects that were a few years ago rejected for sustainability reasons and now they are reaccepted for the reasons I just mentioned is actually very pragmatic but very uh, representative of the strategy on tech of Singapore. Finally, on the e-waste part, the end of life, Singapore launched in, on the 1st of July 2021, so not so long ago, almost two years ago, a very exciting project of uh, electronic waste collection bins that was decided by the National Environment Agency that now is collecting a lot of waste because in terms of number, for instance, in terms of electronic waste, back in 2020, you had roughly 20 kilograms of electronic waste per packs per year in Singapore, which is huge compared to the other countries in Southeast Asia. So to summarize this, you can see that Singapore understood quite extensively the necessity of addressing the life cycle assessment and started incentives either private through companies or on regulation level for e-waste, for instance, to take this topic very, very, very seriously. And it starts with awareness, which is actually a topic that we can delve into later, if you want, Gael, anyone. Very interesting, the approach, like we need local champions, like having a change, a move toward digital system, be rooted with local participants, local champions, and how uh, the Singaporean governments and, and other actors, they promote local champions. Very interesting approach indeed. Um, not necessarily the one always followed in Europe. But um, already 7% of the energy being consumed by data centers, and at, because of geopolitical tension, this number might rise, uh, both in absolute and relative terms. Should it be a concern? How, how sustainable is it for the, the industry? Um, Ian, do you have ideas on it? I, I think that... Most people in the data center industry are also cracking their heads with regards to the reduction of energy consumption and green data centers in general. Um, and that's really rooted in government policy as well, because about three years back, the Singaporean government actually launched a moratorium on the building of no new data centers. So that was something that Thibault alluded to just now whereby from somewhere around 2019, 2020, all the way till the end of last year, right? About the second half of last year, you couldn't build a new data center in Singapore. There were many reasons for it, but um, excessive data consumption, uh, and of course, land space were key considerations uh, when talking about data centers. So the idea of being able to squeeze more into existing data centers, or to ensure that new data centers were built in a way that consumed much less has always been top of mind in the data center industry in Singapore. And I think that as we shift into a world uh, that is, um, I would say, hyper-digitized, um, with so many more people coming online in the Southeast Asian region for the first time this year in 2023 and for the years to come, uh, the need for data centers will only increase in this region. And that's also extra impetus for people creating data centers 
to really think of how they can do so sustainably because data centers are not short-term digital infrastructure, right? They are digital infrastructure meant to last for decades, if not longer. And sustainable planning, in addition to the sustainability on the hardware devices, will be paramount in ensuring this transition. For us, um, at least for myself, because we look at the more software side of things, we're also exploring ways with several of these uh, partners in industry to see how software sustainability can increase the durability of hardware in data centers, allowing for extended life cycles. So we don't have these uh, use and throw away or use and then recycle uh, kind of situations that have been very rampant and that really add up to the e-waste situation experiencing by data centers in many other parts of the world. And most of your clients are receptive. Do they manage to find a way to switch the way they code, the way they design software, and still answering the needs of their final customers? I think we're still at a very early stage right now. Uh, with most of these partners that we're talking to, they're still in the stage whereby they're trying to understand more, understand how a change in code, a change in software, or the refactoring of things within the digital world can affect downstream processes and workflows. Uh, it's not as developed as we would like it to be, but I think that the necessity of the situation has brought them to the table in ways that we would not have imagined many years ago. So still in awareness phase, but not that early anymore. Thibault, awareness is something that, yeah, that's your daily bread and butter almost now. So maybe could you confirm or comment on what I've just said, that general level of awareness among technologists, I would say, in Singapore is raising fast? Is it something that you've noticed? I'm going to tell you, uh, I have a... <laughs> many examples. I'm going to quote one that I like to mention. Um, when I arrived in Singapore two and a half years ago, I remember that I, I wanted to do this. I wanted to work on the, the, the social, social environmental impact of tech and helping companies design their leaner infrastructures in a way. And some, not all of them, but a fair portion of sustainability practitioners that time in Singapore didn't mock me, all right? But they were like, really, you really think it's going to be a something to take care of? Uh, do you, don't you think we have more pressing matters like energy shift? Now, I'm not saying that companies are eagerly looking at this topic, but at least nobody's mocking me anymore because they realized something was off and something that could be used in this area, okay? Technology and sustainability, it's not as obvious or as completely... Uh, <laughs> Uh, it's not black or, or white, right? So that, that's actually, um, in terms of awareness, I would say that we are still in the going from zero to one in Singapore. We are still in the very early stage of this. Uh, now, now, when it comes to companies, uh, and I think that's what uh, that's what that's what Ian is implying when uh, he's working with partners. When you go to companies, you have to speak their language, right? And the language of of companies when it comes to sustainability in general, and especially in Singapore, is CO two, is carbon footprint. 
if you don't take this approach of carbon footprint to companies, uh, they will not listen to you actually because you, they will not find a value in what you deliver. Uh, I have a lot of examples on that as well. Uh, when I talk to companies saying you should do something about your carbon footprint or about your IT sustainability roadmap, always comes the question of what is there for me? And what they imply here is either how much money are you going to make me make or are you going to make me cut or how much CO2 am I going to save? It's, it may be very complex, actually, to address this topic in companies for a lot of reasons. First, actually, uh, yeah, can definitely vouch for that, I guess, but it's very hard to explain how much CO2 is generated from your technical infrastructures, if you want to be very accurate. And the second thing is technology also bears very various impacts like pollution, uh, mental health, uh, biodiversity, which are absolutely not taken into account in carbon accounting companies. So sometimes you feel a dissonance between the, the approach you have, the, the service you may deliver, and what the expectation of companies are. Yeah, I think it's not only located in Singapore that the carbon accounting and the yeah, raising level of awareness when it comes to climate change is kind of the golden key, helping you to enter in quite a lot of companies now and after that you've got an opportunity to talk about the other environmental crisis the other planetary boundaries but carbon is the as you say what was your wording the um, standard language <laughs> to, to talk about sustainability yeah you, you got to give them what they want right it's very important oh, maybe more generally on awareness it's changing a lot uh, we can't compare the maturity, uh, even though the level of the lifestyle in Singapore is very high, you can't compare the level of maturity uh, in Singapore and, I don't know, in North America or, 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 or Europe, for instance. However, um, I believe, I mean, I, <laughs> that's what I'm doing, as you said, as, a, as my bread and butter, but I really believe in the power, uh, let's, and the power of communities, right? Let's forget about CO2 footprint, whatever. Honestly, this is interesting, but... Uh, you, you can't expect or you can't afford to lose time on exactly knowing how much CO2 you will save. Let's act now. And I can see that definitely in Singapore, it, it's changing and it's about making connections that matter. And sometimes, you know, we focus a lot on feedback loops that may trigger the end of the world, like permafrost or I don't know, this kind of, of event. But we never focus so, so much on the feedback loop that can bring change to a higher level. Maybe, and that's what I say when I do workshops, I hope that I will have in one of my workshops one day the next Elon Musk. Because if Elon Musk did actually <laughs> a workshop about climate change awareness a long time ago, maybe he wouldn't be considering some solutions he's mentioning, like putting aerosols in the atmosphere or etc. Well, actually, you want to have a workshop where you will have Elon Musk and it will help you having Elon Musk not becoming Elon Musk. So you are, you're running anti you know, prevention, you've got a prevention program against the, the, the new Elon Musk of this world. Hmm? Let's imagine a multiverse where Elon Musk actually took part in a climate, uh, a climate workshop or a climate threat. I mean, it's, it's very important, I think. And it's, uh, it, it, there is a part of selflessness in awareness that I know it's kind of a leap of faith, but it's important for people who are crafting this kind of knowledge to believe in what they do, because for sure you won't be able to see the impact the day after. But still, you have to believe in it. Mm, yeah, I agree with you. And how many um, 
participants so far in Singapore for climate fresque and digital collage? It's like more dozens, hundreds, thousands? Oh. <laughs> I would say both combined, uh, we are we reached 4,000, I would oh say. Oh my God, yes. Yeah, it's, actually, uh, <laughs> it's actually growing a lot of momentum and uh, we realize that working with uh, people unlock unlimited potentials and now... Uh, Say it for, I won't name anybody, but we, we are going to work with national government agencies uh, to help them also embark on this wonderful journey to see, to identify and to show that sustainability does not have necessarily to be about regulations or bad news. It can also be exciting and appealing futures. And we are really helping companies also here through the community of volunteers to see that the pathways are exciting and it's going to be hard, but it's going to be brilliant. Yes, actually, this is why I really enjoyed and it was truly refreshing to hear Ian rephrasing my sentence from hurdles to opportunities because I also believe that optimism is the way forward. Uh, stubborn optimism, to quote uh, Christina Figueres. Ian, like taking a step back, actually, and, and, and looking the scene, like the broader scene at Singapore and beyond, how do you feel today about climate change? I mean, you rightfully mentioned that it's actually an existential threat for your city, for your way of living, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you feel? Is it like a burden that, you know, is on your shoulders 24-7? Or actually, do you feel empowered or do you feel more optimistic? Yeah. What is your state of mind at the moment? Definitely. So... I feel that there is growing optimism with regards to the climate movement in Singapore. Back when I first thought of Greeny Web about 13 years, actually it's 14 years back in 2009, the level of awareness has certainly shifted. Uh, back then, people were just talking more about um, carbon emissions, yes, and a lot more about looking at the climate crisis from a localized perspective, right? So how would it impact Singapore? How would it impact uh, our coastal shorelines? How would it impact our economy? But I think in uh, as a testament really to the growth in awareness and the maturity of said awareness, people in Singapore are now thinking about how does climate change affect not just Singapore, but other small island nations like us around the world, right? How does climate change impact animals in oceans far away that we may never see? How does climate change impact uh, potential diseases, right? We're talking just now about the melting of the permafrost, right? And how a lot of ancient zoonotic diseases can be released in the process, right? So. To me, I feel that there is lots of room for growth still, but we've come a long way since I first started about 14 years back. And that's a good reason for optimism because change doesn't happen overnight. And I feel that if we continue in the trajectory that we're headed to, there is every reason to believe that new innovations will come to be. Uh, more people will join very interesting uh, and meaningful, I'd say, workshops just like Climate Fresh and Digital Collage that Thibault is leading. And hopefully, 
even one day we would have someone in Singapore or from the region that will be able to come out with a moonshot idea that becomes reality, uh, that will have a, an outsized impact on how the world deals with climate change. So that's my two cents worth with regards to uh, my reflection on how climate change and our treatment of it has come in Singapore and will head to for the next 10, 20 years. Thibault, do you want to add something? I'm French. I have to balance a bit of, of optimism, right? It's true that uh, when, when you retake, uh, that's, I did this exercise actually last year because uh, I was preparing a masterclass for an MBA program to talk about digital footprints. And when you read articles on uh, Straits Times, CNA, so the major newspaper and media in Singapore, tech is only seen as the solution. Only. It's never considered as something that can actually bring additional problems or that can be maybe done for nothing or that will bring pollution elsewhere, etc. So I think we have to look at the bright side and be optimistic. But I strongly believe, and I mean, you just said it, Gail, earlier, Let's not believe in a. Let's not be blind about it. Let's use our brain, our common sense, because it's not so hard to de deploy technology for the greater good. And maybe, I mean, from what I, I see in companies, the major challenge, or I would say, the best practice I have is to think of the user first. Uh, Jan <laughs> has uh, actually a lot of things to say on this. Maybe we'll talk about that during API days. But putting some user-centered approach because there's no one-size-fits-all, of course, especially in climate change and sustainability, might be actually a good mindset, a good pattern to keep in mind to prevent uh, technology to be leveraged for nothing or for something that is not going to be uh, very useful. I mean, most of the time, and believe me, I worked in this industry and in this IT project, but 99% of the time, the project I was working on, on machine learning or, or AI, a good Excel document would have been way enough And sometimes we just want to, for the sake of fanciness, <laughs> we want to add extra layers of complexity. But let's streamline a bit. Let's take a step back. And to quote Nate Hengens, you have also some great simplification ahead. And it doesn't have to be necessarily sad or bad news. Oh, my God. Quoting Nate Hengens on my show. Um, you made my day, <laughs> Thibault. And actually, you made also a wonderful transition. I'm such a big fan of, the, of, of this podcast. I hadn't that much the opportunity to share the, the wonderful job he's doing with it. But the, thanks a lot for bringing the topic on the table. And that's a great transition because the question, the last question I wanted to ask both of you was, would you recommend one or two thought leaders in Singapore or elsewhere or one or two articles or book for people to grasp a bit more of what is at stake when it comes to uh, digital sustainability and of course if it's a bit more focused on Singapore or the uh, area that will be awesome but please feel free to share whatever you want. So on my side I think that honestly honestly Gail I think you've struck gold with today's session because Thibault is really one of the, the people in the sustainability and tech um, arena that has played an outsized role in the development of our particular niche in today's context, right? Um, to give you a bit more context and our listeners as well, the sustainability and tech ecosystem in Singapore is still relatively small. So 
there aren't exactly that many players. In that regard, Thibault and his work with Digital Collage uh, would be one of the uh, key resources for anyone who is in Singapore and listening to this podcast right now and wants to get your first toes right into the idea of digital sustainability. Digital Collage is a wonderful place to be. Uh, on my side, what we are doing at Greeny Web is we are also launching the 28 by 28 program. So don't worry, this is not a Forbes 30 under 30 kind of program. The 28 by 28 program that we're launching at Greeny Web is to celebrate 28 years worth of, um, well, negotiations regarding the climate crisis. Um, it's basically in celebration of COP28 this year. And the aim of this project is really to educate students from 28 different institutions uh, around the world about digital sustainability. Thus far, we've already had uh, our very first session in February. We did a hybrid session with the University of Tampere in Finland. We had our second session about a week back with students from the Singapore Management University, SMU. And we're actually having a session this week with faculty members from the University of Cape Town in South Africa. So for this, for this particular question, I'm afraid I don't have particular local resources of local thought leaders, but I think Thibault and I are, are good starting points. And if anyone would like to join us, and this is a shout out to anyone listening to this podcast as well, feel free to join because the Singapore ecosystem needs every hand we can get. Thank you. Ian, that's beautiful closing words because a call to the arms. <laughs> Join us for the digital sustainability battle. But thanks a lot, both of you, for joining. Actually, it was great to have this. I think it is the first time that we've got a Green IO episode focusing on a specific area. You know, most of the time I love to have cross-national uh, guests so that there will be two perspectives. But I, I think this focus on Singapore was very, very interesting. It's interesting to see how much the the governments, the states, uh, plays a role here. So it's not only in France as a... If, if, <laughs> If we if we follow the usual caricature, but anyway, so thanks a lot, thanks both of you. I hope that the API Day sustainability track will be an amazing success. Uh, at least they gathered very talented people, starting with both of you. So thanks a lot for joining. It was great to have you on the show, and I hope that this podcast episode will help you also to raise awareness even further of the usual people you've already reached. So thanks a lot again. Thanks, Gail. Thanks a lot for the amazing opportunity and speak soon. Thanks, Gail. And that's it. Thank you for listening to Green.io. Make sure to subscribe to the mailing list to stay up to date on new episodes. If you enjoyed this one, feel free to share it on social media or with any friends or colleagues who could benefit from it. As a non-profit podcast, we rely on you to spread the word. Last but not the least, if you know someone who would make a great guest, please send them my way so that we can make our digital world greener one bite at a time.